0: Welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Audrey Lee Hickman-Hunter. The No Wrong Turns podcast talks to people about their story and their passions. It aims to see how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Friends, how have you been enjoying the spring season? How's your uh, life in the queue, life in the quarantine treating you this week? Spring is trying to uh, spring and sprung here in Chicago. We had a beautiful weekend and my husband and I were able to enjoy a couple of walks, bike ride, a front porch happy hour with our neighbors. But then today it almost felt like it was about to snow because I had to bust out my winter coat and it was very, very cold. The No Wrong Turns Pod wants to hear about what you guys are adding to your quarantine to-do list your interest and your hobbies for the spring season whether it be a new bike ride route that you're finding or maybe a new garden you're starting visit us over on our Instagram page and we would love to hear about it listeners this is our 13th episode today on the podcast we have my friend Nate Edmondson Nate and I met in our sophomore year of college at good old Mother Moody, and we were on the same brosis floor, and brosis is when uh, all the ladies' floors and all the guys' floors got matched up, and you had, like, activities and events with, like, one guy's floor and one girl's floor. You'd be paired up for the year, and then you also, we had a table in the dining hall, where we would uh, have a designated area to sit. It is kind of as awkward as it might sound, but I'm thankful for the brosis floor of that year of uh, Colby 10 and Smith 7 Darlings because Nate and I were able to meet and kind of form a little friend group. So shout out to Moody for those brosis floors. V awkward, but I got some great friends out of it. Today on the episode, Nate will share his story about how throughout his life, beginning early on in his school career, he began uncovering his love for communication and public speaking through school speeches, homecoming speeches, his infamous homecoming speech, you'll hear more about that later on, and through sermon prep and delivery. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing about how Nate discovered his passion early on in life and how he developed and grew his, his passion through his studies and his career. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to him or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Nate. Welcome to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast we have Nate Edmondson all the way down south there in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Nate.
1: How's it going, Audrey?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself?
1: Doing very well. Thank you for having me on the podcast.
0: Ooh, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Podcast. Yes,
0: that's us. No wrong turns. Awesome. Nate, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you are, I guess, where you are from and where you are are two different things. So you could answer both of those two if you want.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Tennessee and right outside of Nashville. And I lived there until I went to college. And I went to college in Chicago. Um, that's where I met you. And so went to college in Chicago. And then from there, I've moved around a lot, doing a lot of different ministry roles, and I ended up in St. Louis now. That's kind of who I am, I guess, or where, I'm, where I've been. Along the way, though, I met a girl named Courtney, and we became friends at first. We worked on staff together at a church, and then eventually we started to date, and now we're married. So she's been a big part of my life for sure. So, so that's a little bit about... Where I am, what I've done, who I'm married to.
0: And how long have you been married?
1: We got married, we've only been married like seven or eight months. So we got married May 26th.
0: So crazy. Just mm-hmm. young married couple. May 26th,
1: 2019. I don't know when this will air. You might yeah. hold this for three years and then it'll be I longer. Mean,
0: just for a couple of months, just to, you know, okay. you're on the roster, but it just got to go down gotta edit the episode and such awesome do you have any fun hobbies or things that you're doing in St. Louis
1: yeah so the main thing that we do currently is just watch shows on Netflix or my all-time favorite is probably Mad Men Mm. my well my all-time favorite is probably Seinfeld But Mad Men is probably my favorite on Netflix. We watch a lot of The Office, Parks and Rec. We just got into a show called Dark, and it's just super weird. It's different dimensions and time travel, and it's pretty cool.
0: Interessant. All right, so our show is about people's stories and people's passions, And as we talked about a little bit before, your passion has been something that's been a part of your life and kind of growing from a very young age for you. So we're going to do something a little bit different. And I'm going to have you just come right out and say what your passion is. And then we'll be able to track it a little bit better as we hear your story. So what is your passion, Nate?
1: Yeah, my passion is communicating or preaching. And I like to try to take complex ideas and make them simple for people to understand and that's what I get to do thankfully in my job as a pastor and I didn't know that that's always what I wanted to do but looking back on my story that was always something that was fun for me so yeah that's my passion
0: awesome all right let's go back in the time machine and go back to when you were growing up you said you grew up in Tennessee. So can you give us just a little taste of what life was like growing up for you? Did you have siblings or that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my parents got divorced when I was a year old. And so my whole life growing up, I had two houses. I would stay a week with my dad and a week with my mom. They had joint custody. So I have a stepbrother on my dad's side, and I have three stepbrothers on my mom's side. And I'm really close to all of them in different ways, uh, but especially my brother, Jeremy. So we're really close. So growing up, you know, it was very normal for me to have two homes, but that's not normal for everyone. But that was never a weird thing or a really traumatic thing for me. That's just how it was for me. So that was my childhood.
0: Awesome. Did you have anything in your childhood that looking back on, you could see as starting the beginning of your passion?
1: Yeah, so when I was in fourth grade, my school had this 4-H club, and it wasn't really... Oh, wait, can you
0: a, can you let yeah. us know what 4-H is? Because, I mean, I didn't know what that was until I was in college.
1: Yeah, I, I actually don't exactly know what they do. I think they're... I don't know what the purpose of the organization is, but it's an agriculture club, but they try to develop leaders and build team member qualities in the youths. um of the world and so my grandfather actually was part of 4-H when he was in middle school and he won a 4-H contest for having the largest hog wow he he raised a hog because he grew up on a farm and he won the 4-H contest for that so anyway that's what 4-H is they're an agriculture club but at my elementary school it was not a club that you joined 4-H the organization in our community would send a representative to your class in elementary school Uh and they would make you give a three minute speech in front of the class. And so everybody in the class had to do it. Everybody in the whole fourth grade had to do it at my little elementary school. And I think it was a whole county wide thing. So all the fourth graders having nightmares about having to give this speech, Uh but for whatever reason I liked it. And it was something that again, everybody in the class had to do lots of, you know, fear and complaining was coming from a lot of my classmates, but I was excited. And so I did a 4-H speech on basketball. Um, (laughs) And my dad worked with me on memorizing the whole thing. And we would go through the speech and he would help me pause at the right moments. And he would say, well, you need to emphasize this here. And so he would go over it with me and that was my first introduction to public speaking. And I actually won my little classroom competition. And then I went to the county competition.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, I know. And <laughs> I won the county competition as well.
0: Did you get a ribbon?
1: Blue ribbon.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds yeah. very prestigious.
1: It, it was. It was. So that was my introduction to public speaking, the 4-H speech about basketball.
0: So after that, did you look for other opportunities where you could do public speaking, or that was just a cool experience, that was just something on the back burner until later?
1: Yeah, it was just a cool experience, and then I didn't think anything of it at that point. When I got to middle school, I decided to run for class president or student council president of middle school or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> and to do that, you had to give a speech in front of the school. And again, it was just fun. And the reason I won the election is because the other person who gave the speech was terrible. I don't mean that to sound bad, but they were a middle schooler trying to give a speech to the school. But it just came easy to me. So
0: So you had to give the speech in front of all the middle schoolers in your school.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a lot of
0: people. Did you have any experiences like that in high school as well?
1: Yeah. So when I got to high school, there just became a little bit more opportunity for that kind of thing. So in high school, first of all, my family was part of planting a church my freshman year of high school. And my dad was the pastor. And so I was volunteered to teach the Bible story to kids in the kids ministry from day one. And that was the first time that I ever got to use this thing that I enjoyed of speaking in the context of ministry or the church. And so that was a huge experience for me, and I loved it. And so mm-hmm. we had a large group time and then a small group time for elementary aged uh, kids. And I became the regular large group storyteller is what the role was called. Oh, and nice. so did that. I joined the speech team in high school, the speech and debate team. So I did public forum debate and this thing called original oratory and loved that. I had a teacher who is still, I'm still really close to her. And she's still somebody that I bounce ideas off of about speaking. She's not a Christian, but sometimes i bounce my sermon ideas off of her because she's just such a good coach. And she has this way of telling you how terrible something was, but you still feel kind of believed in by her. And That's so, a great skill. Yeah, so I had her as a coach in in high school and I loved that. And then probably the most fun moment of my life if I had to. Oh, if wow. I had to. Yeah, this is big. When I was in high school, I was the student body president of our high school and it was just a large public school in Tennessee. And we I created this this thing called the Warfield Shield, which is a traveling trophy that would go to the winning school of the football game each year. So we have this huge rivalry. My school is called Hugh High School. Our rival school is called Clarksville High School. And so we started the Warfield Shield, which is this big shield that whoever wins the football game, it gets to keep the shield for the year. And so we start that, we get the principals on board, and it becomes a big deal in our city. And leading up to that game, I got to give a speech at the pep rally. So it's right oh, before the wow. game. We've got this pep rally and it's still just such a fun speech and it was very passionate and I still this is this is serious. I still have people ask me about that speech in my hometown.
0: Wow.
1: It just kind of became this legend is a little strong, but it became <laughs> a thing that people just talked about. Was the Nate speech. What had, year was that in? 2008.
0: 2008 it is 12 years later and people are still talking about your speech
1: yep that's and the awesome. shield the shield is still going back and forth so yeah so that's probably the most fun memory that I have of high school and have all of that I uh, wish
0: that was recorded for us to link up here in the show notes
1: I know I used to have a video of it and it was this super pixelated QuickTime movie <laughs> and my computer crashed one day, and I should have been using Time Machine and backups and whatever, and lost it.
0: <sighs> it's alright. Everyone rem- else remembers it, so that's that's, that's like really right. awesome.
1: It actually, it's probably better that there's not documentation of it because <laughs> it can live on gets, even in my even in my own head. It can live on as yeah, greater than it was. Yeah,
0: and it probably gets like better and better also in everyone <laughs> else's heads.
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: That's awesome. So that was when you were in high school. When you were sort of towards the end of high school time, what were you thinking about for your next steps in terms of were you going to go to college or did you not want to go to college? Where was your head at?
1: Yeah, so I had decided early on that through planting the church and different things, I had felt called to ministry. So I wanted to be a pastor of some kind, or I at least wanted to be doing something that would help people experience God in a deeper way. And Mm -hmm. so I had heard about Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I don't know exactly how I heard of it for the first time, but I heard about it. I really liked the idea of going to Chicago just because it was a long ways from home, or it felt like that at the time. (laughs) So I liked that. I liked the idea of living in a big city, Moody is in downtown Chicago. So that was really appealing to me. So uh, my dad and I went up to Moody for a conference that Moody does every year called Founders Week. And we went up there in high school and there was this promotional video that they gave me. And on the promotional video, it said, if you want to be great at football, you go to Notre Dame. If you want to be great at law, you go to Harvard. But if you want to be great at ministry, you come to Moody. And (laughs) I was I like bought it as just bought it. So, yeah, decided to go to Moody early on in high school. That was my freshman or sophomore year. And oh, wow. Yeah. So, that's where I went.
0: So, just a question here. For me, Moody was a little challenging to get into. I was waitlisted, but they eventually let me in. Did you have any thoughts like, what if you didn't get into Moody? Did you have a backup plan or? It was Yeah.
1: Only so, Moody? I, it was pretty much only Moody in my like thought process, but my, I guess it was probably my parents made me, you know, have some backup plans. So I applied to, there's a state university in the city where I grew up. So I applied there. I also applied to Belmont University in Nashville. And Mm -hmm. I got accepted to that very early. Before I think I even submitted my application to Moody, I was accepted there. Could Mm -hmm. not have afforded to go to Belmont, but I was accepted. So those are the, the schools that I had applied to as kind of backups. So.
0: Gotcha. And then, just curious, when were you accepted to Moody? Did you have to wait, like some other people I know, (laughs) (laughs) until the summer? Or were you accepted right away?
1: Why did you ask me that after telling me that you were waitlisted? It's not fair.
0: It's okay. It really goes with my story. It was good that I was waitlisted.
1: No wrong turns, right? Waitlist. Yeah, Yeah, I was accepted right away, probably because I heard about the speech, so...
0: Oh, totally. I mean, if they're still talking about now, imagine 12 years ago. Awesome. And you knew you wanted to be a pastor. Did you know that's what you wanted to get your major in? Or what were you thinking for that thought process?
1: When I got to Moody, I realized how much I loved studying the Bible. So I thought about maybe doing a theology major. I thought about doing, they used, I don't know if they still have this degree, but they used to have a degree called Bible Exposition. I thought about doing that, but then I decided I wanted to go to seminary, and they had a pastoral uh, ministry degree with a pre-seminary. It was called the pre-seminary track, and so it was supposed to be designed to help you prepare for seminary. In hindsight, I don't know if that's actually the case, having completed seminary now, (laughs) but I was very prepared from Moody for seminary, but I don't know that that was because of my major
0: seminary
1: right so that was kind of the thought process of how I landed on the pastoral degree that I did
0: nice so then you went to moody chicago and when you got there were you like yes this is exactly what I was hoping for these are the classes this is what I wanted to be studying I think this is going to be great or did you have any other mixed feelings
1: yeah I hated it my freshman year like hated. I was very (laughs) close. I almost transferred at the end of the first semester because I hated it so much. Um, I
0: think I might know why. It's probably because we didn't meet until sophomore year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Actually, you were, I've never told you this before, but you were an answer to my prayer this summer after my freshman year. So yeah, so my freshman year, I loved my classes. So I never started to doubt my calling or I never disliked what I was learning. I struggled to make friends initially. I think I thought going into it that everybody is going to be super passionate about ministry, and it's going to be very focused and kind of a seriously-minded, you know, thing. And -hmm. that was certainly not the case, at least the people I was around my freshman year. (laughs) And I think I was just around some of the wrong people my freshman year. There were some people who are just, they were making unwise decisions, and I was with them so your life generally moves in the direction of the people that you are with and that was certainly true for me so yeah freshman year was not great for me but after my freshman year i was just praying all summer that god would help me meet some friends who i would be like-minded with and enjoy being around and sure enough all these new guys moved onto the floor became my best friends and sat across the the lunch table from you so i actually don't know where we met for the first time but it's very conceivable I, I, that we could have sat across the table from each other.
0: That's very true. But let's pause here to let the listeners know uh, what we're talking about. Okay. So uh, at Moody, they have a Brosis floor, a girls' floor, and a guys' floor will become Brosis floors, and they have organized events that they can do together. This sounds really painful
1: <laughs> it's as painful um, and lame as it sounds I think. and
0: then in the cafeteria there's tables along the edges that you can sit at with your bro sis floor and then in the center are there's like circle tables but that's only if you already have friends that
1: you can and sit with you're there. just you're too cool for bro sis if you sit at the circle table
0: yeah well I will have to say that our bro sis was the only one that I was hanging out with and people that I'm still talking with. I mean, I know some other people that I went to school with, but like I didn't engage really in the brosisness after junior and senior year. It just wasn't the same. Once you start at the top, you can't. Right. Like you're just going down. And I just got out, you know. That's
1: right. It's great to live on Colby Ten, and you you met Colby Ten, and you just could not. Colby Ten is the name of my floor. So
0: yeah, Smith Seven was me. So shout out to you, Smith Seven darlings. Love you all. <laughs> yeah this week our sponsor of the podcast is masami masami means truly beautiful in japanese and it is a reflection of their commitment to bring the best hair care products and their dedication to protecting the natural habitats from which masami sources their key ingredients Masami's passion for hair care is unmatched, proven by their unwavering commitment to formulate clean hair care products that hydrate like nothing else. Their co-founder, James, wanted people to feel great about their hair every day, not just because their hair looked amazing, but because their hair was truly healthy, hydrated, and manageable. Masami uses a botanically hydrating ingredient called Mekaboo. And this is filled with ocean vitamins and minerals that leave your hair healthy, shiny, and gorgeous. All of Masumi's hair care products are infused with mekabu, which is a powder from fresh Japanese seaweed, and it's sourced from a family-owned seaweed company. I have been testing out the Masumi hair care products myself. In Masumi's hair care line, they have a shampoo, conditioner, styling cream, and shine serum. I have come to learn that the Mechaboo is what helps keep the hydration in the hair. It's kind of like a sponge that just keeps the hydration in and lasting. My favorite product so far is the styling cream because this is what helps keep my hair kind of, you know, in place with without that kind of helmet, you know, crunchy feel that other um, hair care products sometimes leave my hair feeling with. And at the same time, it's hydrating and there's a little bit extra of a gloss or shine. And one thing that I've noticed after using the styling cream, I just use it by applying, just grabbing some out of the little tub and rubbing it in my hands and then rubbing it in my hair. And sometimes after you use a styling cream, it kind of leaves that film that you definitely need to wash your hands to get off but after I use the Masami styling cream I don't need to wash my hands because the styling cream kind of almost acts as a lotion and it has a truly like delicious scent that's already on there and it leaves my hands pretty hydrated so that's an awesome plus it's a little little twofer a little hydrating lotion and styling cream to find out more about Masami visit their website at www.masami.com lovemasami.com that's www.lovemasami.com, or visit them on their instagram at lovemasami hair that is at l-o-v-e-m-a-s-a-m-i-h-a-i-r and listeners I would love for you all to join us on our next episode and especially so because our next episode is more about Masami. In our next episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Masami's co-founder, Lynn Power. In our next episode, we'll get to hear Lynn's story and also about her passion of Masami. All right, back to Nate's story. So you found, obviously, some awesome guys and some awesome girls to be friends with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and from there, that point forward, I loved Moody. And now I look back at Moody, and I just am so thankful for it. But, yeah, it was definitely not that way to begin with.
0: God bless the school that DLMD founded.
1: Firm as um, you stand.
0: <laughs> Alrighty. I don't want to, you know, start singing with my beautiful melodious voice here. So, so as you... Moody times coming to a close. You mentioned you were thinking about seminary going there after. What were your thoughts as you were finishing out college? What you were going to do, where you were going to go?
1: Yeah, so I wanted to go to Dallas Seminary because my hero at the time was a pastor named Andy Stanley, and that's where Andy had gone. And I wanted to be like Andy. And there were other reasons that I chose DTS, but that was the reason I initially became interested in Dallas Seminary. So I moved to Dallas. I started working part-time as a youth intern at a church in Dallas, and I was only there one semester. And then midway through that first semester, I got a call from my former high school pastor, and he was moving into an executive pastor role at the church he was at, and he asked if I would come back and work for him and be over student ministry. And I was 21 and I did not know what I was doing at all, but I knew that I had this passion. And so I said yes. And so I left Dallas and I moved back to Tennessee to be able to do this job. And one of the main reasons that I did that is because right before I graduated from Moody. I went to breakfast with my pastor throughout college. His name's Jarrett Stevens at Soul City Church in Chicago. And so we go to breakfast, and I was just asking him, like, How do I grow? I want to be a better preacher, I want to be a better communicator, but I'm 21. I've preached four times in my life. And the thing he said was Listen, you're not going to grow unless you do it. That's the only way you're going to grow. So find a place where you can speak every single week. You need reps. That's what you need. And I was like, well, great. Nobody's offering me reps. so. It sounds um, like push-ups or something. That's right. So I should probably have been doing some of those along the way as well. But um, (laughs) So he had told me that. That was in the back of my mind. I get this call from my high school pastor, And he's offering me this job. And with that job comes the opportunity to speak every week. And so it was also a really large church and a really large student ministry. And so I was totally underqualified for this kind of role, but I knew the guy in charge. So he asked me to come do it. So that's how I got into that. That's how I got into ministry for the first time.
0: Awesome. So somebody called you up, basically. Yeah. Awesome. So how long were you then at that church in that position?
1: I was there for almost three years as the student pastor there.
0: So you got a lot of reps in there with speaking and teaching. Yeah. Did you go to school at the same time as this, or were you totally done with the whole seminary idea?
1: Yeah. So once I left Dallas, I had to find a new school to go to because they weren't going to let you take languages online from Dallas. And so I started going to Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and I had a great experience. It totally worked out. There's no wrong turns. So i <laughs> um, super glad that I ended up at Western and had a great time getting to know professors and stuff there. So I did that online for a little bit. And then eventually, when I left Tennessee, I moved to Seattle, and Western had a teaching site in Seattle, so I could take classes on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings, and so that's how I completed my seminary, was taking some of those classes and then driving down to Portland and doing some online in between that, so.
0: Awesome. So you moved to Seattle, and was that for a similar position?
1: It was yeah, so during college for some reason I just got it in my head that I liked the idea of being in the Pacific Northwest. Part of that is our friend Lauren is from Salem, Oregon and Shout one, out to you
0: Lauren. Yeah.
1: And one spring break she wanted to bring her car back from Salem to Chicago. And I so recall. we yeah, so we all flew to Seattle, drove I guess, I don't know why her car was in Seattle. Maybe her sister lived there, and I don't know why. Her sister did
0: live there. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so we fly to Seattle, drive down the coast. Our friend Max, who was on the trip with us, lived outside of Fresno in Yosemite. So we drive there, and then we drove to Flagstaff, and then across Amarillo to Dallas, from Dallas back to Tennessee, from Tennessee back to Chicago. So Being in the Pacific Northwest on that trip was just kind of a marking experience. And so I just had it in my head that I would love to end up back in the Northwest somehow. Had a mutual friend who told me about this job at this church in Seattle. I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And about that same time, I had started dating Courtney, who is from Seattle. So Mm -hmm. it just so happened that all of that worked out at the same time. And so I thought, if I'm going to move anywhere, I might as well move to Seattle. Awesome.
0: So did you say that it was a youth position as well?
1: Yep, it was a high school pastor position. So working with high school students.
0: Uh, Okay. And then from there, did you go straight to St. Louis or did you have another stop in between there?
1: There's one more stop in between. (laughs) Um, So that's why I did such a bad job on the opening question, because I, I just stumbled through all the different places. But
0: it's all right.
1: No wrong so turns,
0: Nate.
1: That's right. So my dad was a pastor. He's Now he's helping pastors, but he's not pastoring a church. But my dad was a pastor in Lexington, Kentucky. And he took me to breakfast one morning and said, I'm going to bring this up to you. I'm hesitant to, but, you know, here it is. And basically, there was a group of people at his church who had suggested that he ask me to come and be the teaching pastor at the church so he had been looking for a teaching pastor who he could offload 12 to 15 weeks a year so this group says hey we know you're looking for this why don't you just ask your son and so he was hesitant because just of the nepotism thing but then he asked me prayed about it for a long time thought about it talked about it with my pastors in Seattle talked about it with Courtney because at that time we were just dating and we were trying to figure out if we were going to stay together or break up. So we decided to accept the position and Courtney and I decided to move to Lexington together. And the idea of us moving to Lexington was that we would be getting engaged soon after that. And once we got to Lexington, I was like, I don't know if I want to get engaged. And I don't know how serious I am about this. And I don't know if we should keep doing this or whatever. So, um, oh, she was, yeah. So she was like, well, then I'm not going to stay here. We're breaking up. And so she moved to St. Louis because her sister lives here and she could get her degree in counseling at a school in St. Louis. And so she moves from Lexington to St. Louis. And after about six months of that, I came to my senses and realized that I had made a huge mistake. And so I tried to get back together with her. And she was like, basically, the only way that's going to happen is if you move this time for me, and you have to come to St. Louis. And so that's how I ended up in St. Louis.
0: Wow. That is quite a flip flop. That's right. That's
1: crazy. It was worth it.
0: Obviously. (laughs) Now you're married. You're about to be a dad any, any minute or any month um, soon. (laughs) So when you came to St. Louis, can you just walk us through, because I know now you're a pastor, but when you originally came, were you a pastor, pastoring a church? Can you walk us through that?
1: Yeah. So when I first got to St. Louis, I met a guy who works for what's called the Send Network. And so it's a church planting group, so to speak, or ministry, and they try to plant churches all over the United States. And they had a church planting residency program that they said I could be a part of. And with that residency program came a house that you can live in. And so I was like, all right, well, then that sounds awesome. You're going to pay me to be a resident and you're going to give me a place to live. Let's do this. And church planting was something that I was very interested in and still am in a lot of ways. So I started doing that. And my first week here, part of my job was just get to know church planters and learn about what they do and whatever. So my first week, I meet this guy who is the interim pastor. And that just means he's filling in for a time at this church plant that is struggling. And their founding pastor left and they are just trying to figure out what to do. And so he asked me if I would come uh, preach at the church. And so we went, I did that. They asked me if I would stick around a little bit and just help with some things. And so I started doing that, started preaching some. And one thing led to another, and they asked me to be the pastor. And we said yes. So here we are.
0: Awesome. So how long have you officially been the pastor at this church?
1: We started on May 5th, 2019.
0: Okay, so basically right before you got married.
1: That's right. Yeah, three weeks before we got
0: married. <laughs> wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit and talk and ask you a couple questions about some myths that you found related to your passion. Have you heard of any either myths or common things that you hear not to be true, like about your passion about speaking and teaching that you could share with us?
1: Yeah, I think one thing is just that it's fast, like it's a Mm -hmm. fast process to plan out a message or plan out a talk or plan out whatever you're going to say in front of a group of people. And whether that's a sermon or a speech or a talk or a presentation, generally, it's not really fast. It's not a really fast process. Generally, it's a lot of study. It's a lot of just walking around trying to organize thoughts. And then it's a lot of narrowing thoughts and cutting things. So I would say that's one myth is just it's fast or, Mm -hmm. you know, all all you have to do is, you know, figure out what you're talking about this week and then get up there and do it. And it can be fast if you want it to not be very good. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the other myth, especially as it relates to preaching, and I think I believed this one for a really long time, is that. The goal every week, or if you're not in the situation where you preach every week or communicate every week, the goal anytime you stand up to give a talk is to give the greatest talk ever because it's the greatest talk ever that's going to change someone's life. And something that I say to myself and then I also say to our team a lot is one great sermon probably won't change your life but consistently listening to faithful sermons will. And by faithful, I mean I'm viewing my role, not primarily as the creator of a message or the author of this talk every week, but I'm viewing my role primarily as a messenger. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to take what God has said in the scriptures and communicate them in a way that relate to people, that help people, That point people to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them, and that's the goal of a sermon. Now, that's not the goal of every speech that someone gives, or every talk that someone gives, or if I'm speaking at a an event in our church, or if I'm speaking at an event in our community, that's not always the goal. But when it comes to the sermon, the goal is not to have a home run, or you know, be lit, or man, that was fire. on point or whatever the the language is the goal is to say what god has said in a way that's compelling to people in a way that is helpful for people in a way that's engaging so i'd say that's another myth that i try to debunk for our I church think at that's, least.
0: yeah i think that's really good it reminds me of this idea that I've been reminded of a lot this past year is little by little is what's creating habits and it's like little by little is what's gonna form you. But big change or big pivots is not gonna really stick. But the being faithful to what you're supposed to be doing is that little by little is mm-hmm. is what's gonna form the habits and that's what's gonna stick in the end.
1: Yeah. Steps, not leaps is how I say it. It's it's about step. It's about everyday steps, not epic leaps. Everyday steps, not epic leaps. Um, we're actually in a series right now where that is the point of the series. So,
0: nice.
1: yeah, couldn't have. Great. I'm glad that that I'm glad we are You we're can just
0: play this there. interview for your uh, next sermon because <laughs> you already got your tagline in there.
1: Okay.
0: All right. So I want to ask a little bit different of a question. What advice would you give to somebody who's just heard about your story and is like, hey, you know what? That's kind of me. I really enjoy this, but I'm not sure what my next step would be. Maybe they realize, oh, I actually do like public speaking. Like I can relate to those kind of growing up stories. And I do still enjoy that. What advice would you give to someone who's wanting to enter into that and learn more about that?
1: Yeah, well, first, let me say if it's just somebody who likes public speaking and it's not necessarily related to the church or ministry or anything like that, I would say this is true for anybody who wants to speak, is listen to people who speak, listen to communicators and listen to all different types of of public speaking, because public speaking really is an art, I think, in the same Mm -hmm. way that music is or video is, oratory is the classic name for that art form. So listen to TED Talks, listen to stand-up comedy, listen to preachers, and listen to people who do that stuff differently, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, I think, first is just listen to some things. And then the other thing I would say is the same thing my pastor said to me at the end of college is find a place where you can practice regularly, and even if that's just your family or your friends. And that can be really awkward, but if this is something that you enjoy and is fun, then the only way for you to grow in it is for you to do it. And you've got to find a place to do it. So those are the two first things. Last thing, and this is especially if it relates to preaching or wanting Mm -hmm. to speak in a ministry context, is study and write now. Go ahead and start studying and writing. So when I was the church planting resident, I spoke once a month at this church. But then the other three weeks of the month, I wasn't doing that. And so I just started writing a sermon every week, just like I was going to preach, just so I would stay in the habit of studying the text and writing the sermon. So go ahead and be doing that, even if you don't have the thing. And then the last thing for somebody who wants to preach, I think, is learn how to study the Bible. And I think, especially in the early days, typically when you get opportunities in the early days, it's going to be at least. This is my story. Maybe I shouldn't project it on everyone, but it's going to be in student ministry with students. And it's not going to matter a lot if you really understand the passage or the topic that you're talking about. But if you want to grow as a communicator, it's eventually going to matter if you understand your content. And so go ahead and be learning how to develop strong content, I think is another thing I would say. So that's awesome. Those are some just... I don't know what that's worth but those are what I would say
0: to someone. Yeah, that was great to highlight kind of different levels of what you would do for your next step. I think those were some great ideas. Is there anything that you wish you had known maybe before starting college or something that that you know now that you're like, "Oh man, I wish somebody had told me this or I wish I was listening when they said this to me."
1: Yeah, I think early on, I really was a clone of whoever I thought was the best speaker Mm -hmm. or preacher. And people would tell me that they would be like, you sound a lot like Andy Stanley. And at Mm -hmm. the time, I thought that was a compliment. Like, oh, yeah, I, I am like Andy Stanley. But now I realize I wasn't really being myself, though. I was being myself trying to be Andy and everybody says find your voice find your voice find your voice but I didn't know what that meant and now I think what I've learned is that the way that you find your voice is you listen to a lot of people you don't just listen to one person if you listen to one person you will become a clone if you listen to a lot of people you'll grow Tim Keller actually says this he says If you listen to one preacher, you'll just imitate them. If you listen to two preachers, you'll just be confused. But if you listen to lots of preachers, you'll grow. And that's certainly been true of my experience.
0: Awesome. That's some good advice. I have one more question for you. Are there any resources or things like books or, I don't know, TED Talk series or something that you found to be really helpful for you that you could share with us?
1: Yeah. So as it relates to just communication in general, I think there's a book called Talk Like Ted that looks at some of the most downloaded or viewed or whatever Ted talks and talks about what makes them powerful. And one of the principles in there, I think it might be the first or second or third chapter. That's not helpful. It's one of the early chapters. Uh, (laughs) In the uh, beginning of the book. Yeah. And it talks about the power of stories and how people remember stories And that was really valuable for me. So talk like that that book. There's a book called Communicating for a Change by Andy Stanley that I think is actually more helpful for communication in general than it is for preaching, even though it's written for preachers. But it just talks about how giving a speech is like taking someone on a journey. So rather than try to help them understand the points that you're making, pick them up at the station and guide them along to your desired destination. And I think that metaphor has just been really helpful for me. So that's a book. If you want to be a preacher, one of the most helpful things, I think, for me is this little chapter in a book. There's a book called The Moody Handbook of Preaching. And the whole book is not good, but there is one chapter that's really good called Mm -hmm. Sermons That Move. By Winfred Neely. And he was one of my professors at Moody. But that chapter, I think, is the most helpful on how to outline a sermon, how to organize thoughts in a way that will be helpful for an audience. So, Sermons That Move by Dr. Neely. Awesome. Those are some resources.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Nate. All right. So, we have one final, final question. And we ask all of our podcast guests this, and it's, what's fueling you today? So this could be anything from a coffee drink, a new part of town, a new TV show on Netflix, new item added to the baby registry. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So what's fueling you today?
1: I think the anticipation of having this baby girl is certainly fueling me. I'm really excited about that. On a more superficial level there is this new grapefruit soda that a friend gave us because I think it was a, Hey, thanks for a gift that you gave us. Here's another gift. And I don't know why they chose that soda, but it's a Trader Joe's. I've been going through that stuff like crazy. So a grapefruit soda, I love grapefruits.
0: I'm going to have yeah. to check that out. Yeah. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nate, for being on the no wrong turns podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to get to talk with you.
0: I have loved our conversation with Nate. It was awesome to see how Nate began growing into his passion of communication and teaching through one of his mentor's advice of seeking out reps, meaning actively looking for opportunities where Nate could flex his communication and teaching muscles. I also loved another lesson that Nate shared with us um, when he summed up, and he summed up, everyday steps, not epic leaps with the significance of being faithful with your little by little. I hope that we are all encouraged today about how Nate grew his childhood passion of communication and public speaking. My prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. Friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Wrong Turns podcast listener, can I ask you a favor? Can you consider helping me out and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or YouTube? This really helps other people to be able to see the podcast when they're searching in the app. Thank you so much in advance. Our episode was edited by our podcaster, Sophia Botet, social media managed by Olivia Botet, and as always, you can see in the show notes for our music credits.